For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 19. This is Writing Excuses. As you know, this episode is about exposition. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're Bob. <laughs> I'm Brandon. <laughs> I'm Victoria. <laughs> I'm not Bob. <laughs> as, as you know, Howard. <laughs> Sorry, that's the, that's the classic, as you know, Bob. Yes. The maid and butler dialogue where two people talk about a thing that both of them already understand, but they talk about it so they can exposit it to the reader. So fair reader, listener, if you didn't don't get the joke. Yeah, don't do that. If you didn't get the joke, now you do. Can we talk about how meta it is that you just like expositioned it. the yeah. entire Expositioned show. it. Expositioned it. Well, because it's never mind. It's actually kind of nice to see in my students as you know, Bob, or whatever, um, I call it, yeah, just made in Butler dialogue. It's it's nice to see in one way because they're at least thinking about exposition, right? Mm -hmm. Like your first level up was when you realize dialogue is just way more fun to read than a big info dump. So yeah. I'll put this into dialogue. But then your next level up is realizing that dialogue needs to feel natural and mm -hmm. you need to construct a scene in such a way that, um, that the dialogue feels like it's coming from real people rather than exposition dummies there to, to give the exposition. Yeah. If, if you want to see this done wrong, uh, <laughs> CSI Miami mm. was shocking sometimes at the level that two forensic scientists would just sit there and recite textbooks at each other while looking at a body or whatever. Now, most of our question, or most of our episodes this year are coming from questions from readers. And there's actually a really, say readers, listeners. It's a really great question starting this off, which is the next level up moment. Um, and this listener says, I've noticed that a lot of my scenes are little more than conversations. Typically with other actions used to set in a secondary capacity of it all. Backstory, plot, revelations, growth, all shown through conversations. And I'm going to assume this character, this reader, this it's listener, listener. <laughs> noticing that is not writing uh, Maiden Butler dialogue. They're writing good dialogue, but they're noticing I'm doing, I'm do making my dialogue do a ton of heavy lifting on this. I've noticed this in my own writing as well. So it's something that I worry about. So this is something that uh, can be handled really well with symbols. And I don't mean symbolism in the AP English sense. I mean that you assign a visible thing or an action to a thing. And, you know, the really obvious one is, Luke, you've turned off your targeting computer, right? We don't have to come out and say, Luke has learned that he needs to use the force uh, because he turns off his targeting computer and everyone goes, oh, okay, I understand what this means. And they establish that earlier with the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? And we get that same thing reversed. Another really beautiful one is actually in the movie Toy Story where the first scene is, we're gonna spy on the little boy's birthday party to see what the new present is. And it's all Woody is in charge and he's doing this thing and he wants to make sure he maintains his position as the favorite toy. The final scene is that exact scene redone, but now he has a friend and now he's with Buzz and they are partners. 
So without coming out and saying, I have learned the value of other people and that friendship is important and I don't have to be the favorite toy to be valued. We get all of that through the use of this really stark visual symbol that just relays it to us. Two things. I, I personally feel like this is a plot problem. I feel like this is a reflection if the only purpose of your scene is this dialogue, then if you need to separate out the verbal content of the conversations from what you're trying to accomplish in a plot sense of the scene. If the only forward movement in the scene is through the dialogue, then I think your scene is not working as a holistic scene, moving the overarching plot forward as well. I come from the anime school of world building. The anime school of world building states, basically, we do not info dump because we don't tell you anything except what you need to know going in. And everything that you learn, be it dialogue or exposition, is tied to conflict and character. So when I see scenes like this when I'm teaching or when I'm reviewing for people and I see these large chunks of conversation, then that starts to happen in a vacuum in my mind. They're just hovering there in space. And so I start to ask those, those authors, those writers, to start separating out the two lines, almost as you, if you were making a song and you would separate the musical instruments or separate the lines and say, what else is this scene accomplishing? Because the nice thing about conversation, the beautiful thing about dialogue is it can happen in a context. And then suddenly you get twice as much out of your scenes when there's a physical underlying context to the scene, as well as a conversational context to the scene. Let me ask you this, though. Uh, one of the things that I've just started becoming maybe hyper aware of, too aware of, is that um, people using non-dialogue uh, beats and actions and things in order to uh, replace writing better dialogue. Oh. And it gets really bothersome to me when I see my students and every line of dialogue is modified by a, a sentence saying mm -hmm. what they're doing. And they've learned that if someone slams their coffee cup down, it, hel oh. it helps add an exclamation point. So every character with every beat is doing something. But that is the equivalent of somebody thinking that they're revising by moving commas around. That is mm -hmm. not actually fixing the motion of the scene, right? Those are, those are crutches of the scene. And so I actually think it's a lot better. I'll advise students to create a block of the, the scene and then a block of dialogue, like work mm -hmm. us between the two. I actually think that a paragraph of the scene bracketing the dialogue is a lot more efficient than splicing up your bracketing scene notes throughout the dialogue. I tend to agree with that as well. Yeah. Um, I like it personally when reading, when you go into dialogue and the dialogue has been tightly um, worked so that it, it just gets across emotions yeah. and things without with as very little outside of the dialogue as possible, and then you transition back into motion. This and also comes down, like, I know this is a tangential thing that relates to this, but let's talk about dialogue for a moment, because mm -hmm. I, I am shocked by how many people think that when you write dialogue, you begin at the beginning and you go to the end. When, like, the truth is, most conversations have a point. Mm -hmm. And so when I write dialogue, I build outward from the point. What is the thing that the two or three or four people engaged in this conversation are trying to get to? And I think when you build out from the point instead of the hello, hello, goodbye, goodbye of it, then you start to understand why they're having the conversation. And really, like, we don't have conversations in a void. We have conversations in a context. And so often when I see a lot of dialogue happening, a lot of information being conveyed this way, I start to wonder why there is an absence of context. And sometimes the context can replace some of the dialogue. And absolutely, it's a balance that you find in the writings. Like so many things that we talk about, you learn the right balance by doing it wrong and by doing it right. But I think... I mean, this is the time where we have to remember that all writers are readers. Find the things that really work. Find the good examples of it and study them the way that you would study anything. I think it's important to recognize that, uh, and I use this as a punchline in a uh, schlock mercenary strip, 
a decade ago. Good Lord. Uh, And the punchline was, uh, Captain, all conversation is combat. (laughs) And and the captain's response is is along the lines of, I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot more now. (laughs) Um, The idea that we converse because there is a there are competing ideas and at the end of the conversation these ideas will have changed in status at a at a almost theological level the you know the religion of mm-hmm. the sharing of information conversation is conflict Absolutely. even if we agree there is conflict here because if there wasn't conflict we wouldn't need to talk and so as you know bob is broken because there is no conflict. There's no reason for me to tell you what you know. But if I'm saying a thing, if I'm trying to explain a piece of world building to someone who doesn't know it, the the disagreement, the conflict there is not I am providing information that you need. The more interesting conflict is I'm providing information that you don't believe. And you're now going to refuse or refute and it becomes an argument, and you layer that atop character conflict, atop other things, and suddenly, I, I will read page after page after page of that because it's it can be fun. Yeah, I think the pointedness of exposition is important, even the fact that in dialogue, no two people come together to have the same conversation. We each come to a conversation with an idea that we want to convey to the other. And so often what's the interesting part of dialogue is when we miss each other in the conversation, when each of us is trying to have, basically have a monologue to the other one and we have to have that collision point. I also, on the on the character building exposition side of it, I feel strongly that this so often gets put into first person, but when you think about writing, regardless of whether you're writing third person or first person or second person, you are writing a perspective. Every single character will notice different things. Every single character that you write is moving through their world and their environment differently. They see the world differently, they have different philosophies, and they're going to notice different things. And so often, unless you're writing a purely omniscient world, you can tie the details of the things that we notice, of the things that we perceive that are relevant, to the attention of the character that you are writing about. So remembering that each of us has a bias, a way of moving through the world. Each of the characters that you write is going to perceive different things about the world around them. Honing it into those details can help it from feeling info dumpy, can help the exposition from feeling like it doesn't serve a point. One of my favorite stupid tricks is the person, and we had this happen all the time, all of us, someone walks into the room late and tries to join the conversation, but they don't know what's been said yet. And, and... Everybody is now instantly mad. We just we just covered this. Yeah, but I wasn't here. Why do we care that you know? I care that I know. Uh, one, there's comedy inherent in it because we've all been there. We've all been annoyed. And we are now watching the lessening in status of the person who we would like to see dropped. That's one of my, one of the rules of comedy. But the other thing is it allows you now to fast track the exposition and give them the equivalent of the, as you know, Bob, in a way that has conflict just running, just oozing off of it. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique, which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. 
They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Book of the week this week. One of my very favorite things in the entire universe is... Me? When stu- You're nope. related to it. <laughs> when writing excuses, listeners, students at our retreat, people who listen to the podcast come to me and show me their book that they wrote and have published. Like, that is just makes me so happy. And uh, that happened recently. Uh, Suyi Davies Okungboa, who was one of our scholarship winners for the 2019 cruise, uh, he's got a fantasy book published. It is called David Mogo Godhunter, and he gave me a copy, and it's super, super good. It's basically the Dresden Files, if it took place in Lagos, Nigeria, about a guy who is hunting fallen gods for a wizard. Uh, and it's really good stuff, really well-written, and he is presenting a very new, unique world that he does a great job of exposing that information to us. So it applies to our episode as well. Title and author one more time. David Mogo, God Hunter, and the author is Suyi Davies Okungboa. All right. Um, so the other question we have for this week Um, is about adding description. How do you add description when it doesn't come easily? Um, How do you find the balance between world building and exposition? I am one of those people that believe uh, you write five sentences and then you ask yourself if one sentence will do the same amount of work. And that's not to say that you should underwrite. I think you're totally fine to overwrite. But I usually believe that if you take a paragraph to describe a thing, And then you ask yourself if every sentence in that paragraph is pulling the same amount of weight. You can usually get it down to one or two very powerful sentences. I think sometimes, especially in the fantasy tradition, we think more is more. And sometimes more is more. But usually, I come from a poetry background. And so usually what I think is, especially in moments where we're truly setting up world, where the the exposition and the description is not actively engaged with any one thing, with conflict, with character, with anything, but we feel the need to set the scene— that in that case, less can be more when it is done pointedly. I think that the the tradition of writing, and when I say tradition, the, the form, the syntax of writing uh, for, for the screen and writing for comics, where uh, at some point 
you are telling the director, you're telling the cameraman, you're telling the artist what to do. And as the writer, there is a line you don't want to cross where you may have told them too much. And yet there's also this point where all you've given them is a white room full of people talking and they don't have anything to work with. Uh, when I when I talk about writing comics scripts, um, often what I will focus on, and, and this is useful for writing other things, is uh, colors and moods and shapes. Uh, you know, I'll say... Establish a, you know, establishing shot, long shot, super desaturated in the background to show distance, trees in the foreground, uh, characters in the immediate foreground, uh, brightly lit, whatever. Um, and that establishes a mood where we are close up on the characters and they are in a huge space. Well, if I were to write this in prose, obviously I wouldn't write it that way, but I would want to talk about the tree that is nearest uh, I, I would want to mention that, you know, we can see for miles, you know, it feels like we can see to the end of the world, something poetic that establishes this same feel of huge space with people in it up close. And so, and so it may be that an exercise for, for description is to look at screenplays uh, and the way they handle some of these scenes uh, and then look at how you would write it in prose to accomplish the mood rather than to say, these are all of the millions of things that were in that picture. So this kind of comes back for me to the idea of spatial intimacy, right? You cannot paint an entire city, not in any way that a person can keep in their mind, but you can paint a room or a street in that city. And I have this theory that there are two kinds of fantasy authors. There are or really any genre authors. There are authors who build you an entire house decorate every room of that house, and then give you, as the reader, the key to the house. You now get to explore every room. If you don't see it, it doesn't exist there. That's like the Tolkien philosophy, right? And then there are authors who build the entire house, decorate the entire house, and instead of giving the reader the key, they leave one curtain open. And what you can essentially see then is one room, perhaps an open doorway, a hall beyond, and you're given just enough details to be able to infer the house beyond. And I think that when you're writing fantasy or, or something where you feel like there's a lot of room for description, remembering that a few key details instead can have that iceberg philosophy, can show you and be reflective of an entire world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I like to go back, going back to what you said earlier and kind of tying this all together. Um, if you're worried, one of your worries is you're doing too much conversation. A few of those very well-described tight, like, uh, this is when one paragraph is better than 17. The really, really luxurious um, paragraph that gives you that window, yeah. that gives you that drapes and shows you and brings you right in there is a wonderful, powerful balance to some of these dialogue Absolutely. scenes. Absolutely. Um, we are out of time on the podcast today. I am going to give you some homework. Um, what I want you to do, so I want you to take a favorite piece of media of yours, a book, a television show, a movie. I'm going to use Star Wars for this example because it's pretty universal. Um, a lot of people have seen it. I want you then to make a list of all the world-building elements that are necessary to understand Star Wars, right? Um, to, to understand how that movie, how that world works, how that society works. Then once you've got that done, I want you to watch the movie, read the book, the show again, and see at what pace the creators of that media put all of those things in so you can get a sense for how someone else is doing it, how they are using their learning curve and their description and their exposition to get that information to you. So uh, have fun doing that. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. 
jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.